Welcome to PhD with Women on IT, Hack the Future. My name is Beata Young, and today's PhD, Positivity Hack Delivered, will be by our guest, Samar Akhmedov. Hello. Today's topic, what is the future of voice technology? Let me remind you, this is a grassroots community that focuses on women on IT, an inclusive forum of technology, startups, and female leaders who are supported by men as well. And I bring heart to that hustle because empathy is my motto, and empathy is critical when you are building the future of voice technology. Technological advancements have always been in sync with the fast pace of this progressive world, of the new perhaps, uh, even faster. Manpower has significantly decreased and been replaced by machines in almost all aspects of the industry. It's only a matter of time when we realize and figure out how far we've come and developed. We will be tackling the future of voice technology and how it will help companies develop and deploy a conversational first strategy to create deeper customer relations, as well as powering the next generation digital voice, such as natural language understanding, conversational artificial intelligence, text-to-speech, these are just some of the interesting topics in which our esteemed guest will give his insights to. Sardor uh, is a serial tech entrepreneur and a public speaker who currently holds a position as the COO and managing partner at Jafton and Miss.com and a co-founder of UzbekDiaspora.org. Sardor has changed his career recently, so my bio may not be quite up to date. So let's listen to the latest developments of Sardor's uh, life and career. Where in the world are you today, Sardor? Yeah, uh, thank you, first of all, Bieta, for such a kind introduction. And uh, actually, I'm currently in New Jersey, uh, traveling for business um, for uh, my main company, which is Jafta.com. Uh, and in terms of change that you mentioned, actually, you know, um, from what you describe, everything holds still true. Uh, however, I, I stepped out from being a board member at Uzbek Diaspora. I'm still a co-founder, but I just stepped out from the board. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm no longer participating as an executive board member. Uh, and I decided to focus on, uh, you know, we, we actually have like uh, five different brands within uh, me and my partner. And I decided to uh, just focus on one of them, which is our agency, jafton.com. And I'm the chief operating officer there and the managing partner. Uh, so that's what I'm focusing on right now. Uh, and we provide consultancy to our business uh, clients. And uh, we do development services as an outsourced company. Excellent. And what is Drafter.com doing? Yeah, so currently we're working with around um, seven to eight uh, clients, uh, which most of them are startups. Some of them are government agencies. And uh, we help with, uh, well, we basically position ourselves as a consultancy agency. However, it's, uh, it's a one-stop shop for startups when they're building a technology business, right? Let's say you're a first-time founder, uh, you come to us and you want to, you know, you want us to help with uh, founding your company as a technology product. 
So we bring in our expertise in terms of how to launch the product, how to bring it to the market, and also we develop the, the product for you. So to give an example, one of our clients is currently building a project called Rogo, which is a similar project to Airbnb and Uber, but it's for everyday items. Like let's say you want to host an event and you need a camera. So instead of buying that camera, you can rent it out from your neighbors that are around you. So it's a peer-to-peer -peer platform, right? So that client, for example, came to us and uh, they, they did not know where to start. So we consulted them on that and we actually are building the technology for them and helping them launch this company. So that's what Jafton.com does. And that's what I'm focusing on. Fantastic. Thank you so much. We've got first comments and questions. So we've got Marianne joining us tonight. And Marianne is asking, hi, Sam and Beata. What should I do for a voice technology to understand my accent? Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's, a very, that's a very interesting question, actually. So uh, yeah, uh, my expertise and uh, a lot of my enthusiasm holds in the voice technology. And we actually develop uh, voice products for our clients as well. To, and to answer that question, um, it's something that currently probably uh, teams at Alexa, uh, Amazon Alexa and Google Voice are working at. Uh, however, uh, so far, I've only seen variations of English. If we're talking about English language, uh, I've only seen variations of Indian English and British and Australian English. Uh, uh, so I'm not sure where you're at exactly, but I'm sure uh, that the team at, at uh, you know, Alexa and Google are working on like uh, understanding more accents, I guess. However, what I would advise is, you know, while they're working at it, uh, it's never, it never hurts to work on your own, uh, I guess, pronunciation and try to improve it. Uh, so if Alexa or Google Home are not understanding your accent, uh, try to improve it, try to make it, you know, more, I guess, uh, you know, sound, sound more understandable. So it's, I guess it comes from both sides, from technology and from the person themselves. Well, I can't help but think about my friend who's got kids and they tested Alexa through various, um, you know, pooping sounds and so on. Huh. And uh, I wonder what is that voice technology really recognizing because there are so much data and so much rubbish coming in. Um, is it managing all that data? Is it is it going to actually divert into into that word and and really get grasp the the core of what the speech technology is about right yeah so uh that's actually an interesting thing so currently uh it specializes on the nlp right the natural language processing however uh in terms of recognizing other sounds i do not think they're focusing on that right now uh but uh like you said it's collecting a lot of data right so What's exciting about this is that um, the, what we're seeing right now with the voice technology and how these devices are processing our NLP, natural language processing, and our conversations is very, very basic, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, however, what they have with all this data that ha they have been collecting uh, for years and years, uh, the, the, the level of technology that they're testing internally is much more advanced. And... At one of the Google's presentation, they actually revealed that in 2018, how advanced this technology has gotten. And it was actually able to sustain a human conversation with a human voice 
with a another human that had no idea it was a it was basically an AI talking to them, right? Uh, and that was at the Google I/O uh, presentation in 2018. Since then, they still have not published that uh, version of the AI. I guess they're uh, they might be afraid of how advanced it is, and they they're kind of afraid to test it out. Uh, so so at the current stage, I it does not recognize uh, anything except like the, the queries that have been put up and that are basic. However, uh, internally, I'm sure they have that artificial intelligence, which pretty much processes information actually even at the better level than a human. Well, let's hope so. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> I know that Olga is keen to ask a couple of questions. She's with us tonight. Great to see women on IT back with PhD. Where are we all today? Well, Olga, uh, just last week I was in sunny Malta and today I landed 18 degrees plus and Google said it still feels 18 degrees. For me, it felt eight degrees, like winter. So I think artificial intelligence got it wrong for me. So um, <laughs> let's go to Olga's question. Gosh, how different is being a one-stop shop for startups and working with government agencies? That's a tricky one. How is yeah. it for you, Sarmar? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's also a very interesting question. Actually, it's uh, I prefer working with startups because I come from a startup background myself and uh, you know there, there's a lot of room for flexibility however they, they both like the both clientele has its own advantages and with the government agencies the great thing is uh, they usually have a set budget and set requirements so they know exactly what they want they come with the set requirements and they don't change that so we just stick to the plan get it done on time and they're happy they pay us and that's it Right. However, it's not really that interesting uh, as opposed to working with startups where we actually get involved and like we consult them on like, you know, here's another feature that you can come up with. For example, with one of the startups we're working on right now, um, it's a photo sharing app and I can't reveal too many details. However, one of the features that I actually suggested was around AI uh, and we basically came up with an idea for them to add something that um, would basically combine uh, group photos. You know how when you take a group photo, there's always someone that is that doesn't look good. So the AI that we're building right now is going to actually combine multiple photos that you took as a group and recognize which one of them has uh, yourself where you're looking good. Your face is, you know, you're not blinking. You're not like uh, you don't have a funny face. And it combines it into one picture where everybody looks good. So that's super exciting. And that's something that, you know, we suggested that startup do uh, and, and we're working on it. And you don't really have that kind of flexibility with government agencies. However, uh, what we're building for government agencies is, is mostly around telemedicine. That's our uh, one of our expertise as well. And uh, we're actually building something for the state of New Mexico right now that is around uh, voice technology. And it's about like, you know, elderly people being able to, instead of typing, uh, provide uh, basically receive uh, medical help through voice without video conferencing or texting through uh, just like natural language processing with a mix of AI and a human. So it's, it's very different things. Mm. What about we, we are talking about altering your your pictures? What about altering your voice? 
is it going to be used by the bats? I mean, by pretending be to be somebody yeah. else. So that's something that I'm super excited about, you know, where you're going to be able to basically, you know, how uh, so different social media uh, platforms are emerging on top of voice, uh, you know, one of them being the famous Clubhouse, right? And uh, there's going to be a lot of other social media platforms that are going to emerge on voice. And one of the things that people are really wa going to want to do is, uh, you know, it's a very common thing that people are irritated by their own voice, right? When they hear their own voice. So uh, to, to, uh, and it would be super cool to basically be able to purchase or like rent out somebody's like a celebrity's voice, right? And be able to talk and post something like a voice memo with somebody else's voice. However, like you, you raised a really big concern there, which is, you know, are people going to abuse it? Are people going to, you know, um, really pretend to be somebody else, right? So that is a concern, which is why it still has not become mainstream. The technology for that actually exists. There was this one company called Learbird, uh, which invented that technology. It was still not perfect, but it was pretty good. I was able to speak with Obama's voice and say whatever I want. Uh, you could tell it was not real Obama, but it was very, very close. However, that technology got uh, acquired by another company, uh, which is actually in the podcast space called, um, uh, it's a podcast uh, editing tool, basically. Uh, it's a very big company. I don't, can't remember their name, but uh, basically they acquired that technology and they're now letting um, it, basically they're letting podcasters turn their text into voice, but only for their own voice. They're not actually allowing you to speak with anyone's voice. So I think it's still a non-solved problem, right, in the industry, which is what uh, makes this industry so exciting is that there's still these problems, like you brought up a really good one. Uh, that is not solved. Like if we have this technology invented and it's really working well, how do we make sure it's going to be used in ethical way, right? And I think one of the ways that we can, we can make sure that it is used ethically is by combining uh, maybe a blockchain technology. That's like one of the proposed solutions right now uh, to verify if, you know, if the person on the other end is actually the real person speaking or it's, you know, it's, them basically using that filter. You know how when you use a filter on Instagram, it actually shows that you're using a filter so people can tell that it whatever filter you're using, no matter how realistic it is, it's actually a filter. So I think we're going to have uh, regulations around this that are going to give that precaution to people that are actually, you know, they before you basically speak with somebody else's voice, there's going to be probably a robot giving that disclaimer that this voice is actually not that real person speaking, if that makes sense. So I think what, and, and that can be verified on a blockchain, you know, uh, and, and that's just one of the, you know, proposed solutions that I, that I think is, is probably going to happen, but it is still a not solved problem. Well, that's a perfect way to segue to uh, Ika's Pagio uh, question. Hello, Sam. What do you think is the biggest challenge in voice technology at the present time? And before you answer, I would like to tell you a story. When I was little, and I think, uh, you know, my generation did that. Just hold on a second. You know, we used to have something like that. <laughs> And that thing I was, <laughs> I was able to go with that thing with a bit of 
something over my speaker and I could pretend to be some guy somewhere <laughs> uh, in the atmosphere and I could actually pretend you know calling my grandma and I could fool her so we all did pranks like that so <laughs> I wonder what are the real kind of not really pranks because these were kind of innocent but I can think of a couple of, of ways of how to fall because I can call my bank and remembering majority of my data if somebody listens to my phone calls they can work out what is the first second third uh, password um, letter of the password and combining all of these there is a danger of somebody using my data and hacking my money yeah totally it's actually very, uh, yeah, this is actually a very big concern as well. It's one of the scenarios where this can this can go really, really wrong, right? This, like I said, it can be abused. This can be used towards, you know, uh, you know, you pretending to be somebody and stealing their data, right? However, if you compare it to how this verification process works right now, is that, uh, believe it or not, so I, I'll tell you another story. Like uh, when my mom, like, uh, she does not live in the United States. She she she's she's she lives in Uzbekistan, but however she visits here. And when she came last like three years ago, uh, we opened her a bank account here. And so uh, there was one problem after she left. I think her account got blocked or something. Uh, so I, I I had to call the bank right, and she doesn't speak English. So and I didn't have my sister with me, so I had to actually pretend to speak with the female voice on her behalf. It was for the good. <laughs> but the, the <laughs> it's still so funny because while I was speaking, my friend came into the room and they were so confused why I'm speaking with a female voice. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so you've got to give us a teaser of that. You got to show us what it sounded like. <laughs> I wish I recorded that because that was so funny. But but the story is that it actually worked out. They actually took me as my mom, you know, just because I was pretending to have a female voice. And so there was no way to verify it was actually my mom, right? So, and and with the, with that startup that I mentioned before, Learbird, that's actually, they actually invented, at least they claim to have invented the technology where even if you record somebody's voice and you play it, the AI is going to tell that it's not the real time speech even if it's that person's real voice. So that's where the AI comes in actually, where I think AI is gonna be given this task to actually you know, uh, regulate this and, and be able to analyze somebody's voice if they're pretending to be somebody else or if they're actually that person. So, uh, and, and the computer's processing power is actually much um, more powerful than a human's, right? So. You know, given that we task the AI with the right, with the right task and the right, you know, um, we give them the right intentions, AI is going to get to the point. Well, it's almost at the point where you know, with we're not going to be able to completely comprehend how it's doing it, but it's going to do its job well, and it's going to be able to tell if you're actually abusing it or if it's a realistic case where somebody's actually you know doing what they're supposed to do. Um, so that's you know still a challenge to address uh, uh, the question that came in. It's uh, it's something that's being solved, which is like I said, it's it's what's it's what makes this industry so exciting, where there's so many untackled problems like this one. Um, 
but that's where the AI comes in. And, and uh, given that uh, we give, the, give it the right intentions, it's going to solve these problems. Well, I think it's going to be a combination of all three. Not only your picture, not only your eye that is blinking, not only your finger that is uh, touching the phone or whichever device you're using to connect, but also your voice. And that way we might be able to discern whether it's a real person or somebody else. Because we we know about this story in China where somebody um, murdered a girlfriend and then was trying to get a loan on her account and uh, then AI came in to help and said that really she's not blinking with her eyes mm. even though everything else worked uh, that the fact mm, that uh, her eyes were not blinking was uh, the factor that really stopped uh, the, the guy the villain from getting the loan China is really ahead in terms of technology you know as opposed to the US the US it would have worked like because I still wonder how, like, the U.S. seems to be such a technologically advanced uh, country, but it's still so much behind in terms of technology and things like that, as opposed to China. Uh, but yeah, go. and I agree. I agree. It is a combination of everything. It's going to be not just voice, but all the biometrics. Your, your, you know, your face ID, your touch ID, your your voice IDs, and other things. That's actually what with uh, one of the things that's going to emerge. Probably, um, I still get annoyed when I tell Siri to open a certain app and it says you have to unlock your phone first and i have to show my face i'm like why can't you just recognize my voice i guess it's going to be a combination of that and the uh, voice id is going to be the next uh, uh like unlocking uh biometric type for these devices fantastic um summer i would love to delve into more details but we've got a lot of questions from our sure, community yeah, let's go. Oh, for questions. For for some reason, it's lots of uh, females, and I know of somebody who's uh, been really interested in your presence. So uh, the questions are not really whether you're single or not, uh, but let's go <laughs> into some of the details. Hello, Sam. Princess Tani is asking, what are the obstacles you have faced in launching business from scratch? Yep. Uh, so that's actually uh, uh, something... Well, if we're talking about my current business, it's actually something that I did not launch exactly from scratch. So I actually came into this business um, as uh, I, I was working at a business development position here for my mentor. And then I became a shareholder and a partner in the company that he started. But I can say that I basically, you know, I came in at the very beginning. So I helped uh, develop the company from scratch, which is why I became the partner, right? But to address the the obstacles, you know, if I talk generally to towards the businesses that I've launched from scratch and the ones that I joined as a partner, um, you know, the first few years are always the most difficult. Uh, like if I remember uh, the restaurant that we started, you know, um, with my sister back in 2017, 2018, um, it took us a very long time to realize that you know the restaurant actually was not profitable and it's not going to turn profit anytime soon and we actually have to close it down so there was this emotional attachment towards the business because we were like well we it's our baby you know we don't want to close it down mm -hmm. but then we when we did the proper objective analysis uh, i actually had to step in uh because it was especially because my sister initiated the business uh, she was very like emotionally attached to it 
uh, it was hard to accept the fact that we have to close it. However, when we did the analysis and like we realized that actually we have two businesses within that business. We had the catering business, which was profitable. And we had the restaurant itself, which was not profitable. So we closed down the restaurant and we pivoted towards just doing the catering. And that's when the, become, uh, the business became profitable. So the challenge, uh, one of the challenges is that, you know, you don't have to be emotionally attached to the business and you have to keep it super objective and always run numbers, always run numbers. Even within, even if your overall company is profitable, you may have uh, certain parts of your business uh, that are not profitable. Oh, to give you another example, something that we realized recently is that in our software development company, uh, we used to do basically any type of software, right? Whatever clients ask, we do it because we had the capability. However, recently, like literally two or three weeks ago, uh, I paid attention to numbers and I saw that we have uh, like one of our services, which is a web development was actually very, like it was bringing very little profits, right? And the time to actually bring that service was equal to the other uh, services that was more profitable. So we decided to shut down that service completely. So we're no longer offering web development and we completely focusing on uh, app development, right? So that was something that, uh, you know, was again, by running the numbers and giving the objective analysis, uh, we were able to decide on that. So, you know, always analyze your business. That's one of the challenges and don't be emotionally attached. I guess that's something off the top of my head that I can think of the problems that I have encountered before. Brilliant. Uh, Olga is asking similar question. Um, she's actually uh, talking about my 18 degrees um, obstacle. And uh, now she's saying, so do you have a particular methodology for developing these startups or is it a mix of approaches, Sarma? Yeah, so uh, for developing startups, I guess you, you mean for our clients. Um, so it all it all comes down to who the client is. And like I said, most of our clients are first time founders, right? So they are, it's for them, they come either from a non-business background or from a very traditional business background. So they have no idea about the technology, right? And uh, so, but we always look at the level of their understanding of technology and the level of openness that they have. Because some clients are very open towards suggestions. They're like, tell me what I should do. I trust you, you're the technology expert. However, some clients are very stubborn and they're like, um, I know what to do, just do what I say. So that's where our, our, our approach is changing. You know? So it's not one uh, size fits all. It's very, this is why uh, consultancy business is very difficult because you deal with people and people are all different. We have so many different clients. You know, you know, there, there, are, there are female, male uh, clients, there are people, that are you know super experienced in business and they run they've run multi-million dollar companies and there are people who come from corporate jobs and they have a different mentality so it's super different approaches uh however in terms of development we have set standards that uh that is pretty much that's something that we do not change right in terms of how we develop those actual products so we have a technical team we have around 50 people working for us and we have uh, one basically big manager that's a tech lead that looks over that team. And then we have a project manager dedicated for each project. 
And on top of that, uh, for each project, we allocate a certain designer, a certain developer. And, and so that, that's our method that pretty much does not change, but the consultancy part does change depending on um, the background of the client. Do you like choose the startups you're working with or is it any, any startup that is coming your way? Yeah, so uh, we actually, yes, we do choose because we are a, uh, well, we're not too big and we're not too small. We're like I said, we have around 50 people working for us in five countries. Um, we are still a boutique agency, you know, uh, we still, myself and my partner, we get involved with every, every project individually. And we give like the other day, uh, like two weeks ago, we were taking out our client on a dinner, you know, to give that personal, uh, you know, basically, you know, it's a relationship building. They've been working with us for three months and they're about to launch their product. Uh, but to, to kind of answer that question, um, I think I got sidetracked. Could, could you actually repeat the question? The question was, do you, cherry pick your clients oh, or yeah, is yeah, it yeah. any okay. technology you're working with yeah, yeah yeah so yeah like i said you know we've now narrowed down to focus uh solely uh on mobile development and uh in that mobile development we actually do not choose an industry however we have our favorites right we have uh industries where we are more expert than the others so like voice technology being the first one of them but we also have a big expertise in the in the transportation industry in the medical industry uh and uh in the government sector right so that those are our favorites and because we have most expertise in that however uh if we for example like right now we're starting a project in the gaming industry and we have never worked in the gaming industry but we are uh planning to work with this client regardless because it's a new challenge it's a new industry that we're going to learn so um very rarely do we turn down clients. It's only when we're actually not able to provide that service. Uh, but even if it's the industry what, that we have never worked with, we still challenge ourselves to learn more about that project and the industry. And that's another thing that's uh, sort of an advantage to our uh, industry is because we get to learn from all these people about the projects that they're doing. Because, you know, how do we become experts in medical industry? Because we work with a doctor who was building a telemedicine project, you know, and so on. So we choose to a certain extent, but um, it's a wide range of clients. Well, let's go to back to uh, the beginning, the basics. Uh, we are talking about voice technology and Trixie yeah. Lopez is uh, reflecting on, I saw a lot of videos where pro hackers use voice technology to mess up with scammers online. Have you seen one? And uh, was there anything that made you think, wow, that's quite advanced, Samor? Yeah, uh, I think I've seen one where uh, it was, yeah, I think it was Elon Musk joining somebody's Zoom session. And it was just at the beginning of the pandemic when Zoom, you know, thing just started like crazy. And uh, I think it was uh, deep tech technology uh, that they used to, you know, how the uh, before Zoom actually became cautious about all the passwords and everything, you were able to join anybody's meeting and people still did not know how to lock their meetings. They would post the links to their Zooms. Uh, I think this is the one that Trixie is talking about. Uh, maybe one of them. Uh, there was a lot of Zoom bombing. They called it Zoom bombing when they would join in and like uh, they would mess up the meeting. And one yeah. guy was actually very creative and he <laughs> he put on Elon Musk's face and it was super realistic. And 
<laughs> and and people were shocked. Like, you know, you're sitting at a meeting. Imagine now Elon Musk joins in and like he starts basically <laughs> participating in the meeting. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's something that that was happening. But I think people are more tech savvy right now to protect themselves from that. Mm. When we are talking about meetings, I uh, have to say that um, what was interesting at the beginning of Clubhouse, because it was such a new developing technology, everybody was on Clubhouse and uh, uh, everyone with Android was missing out. And one of, I, I was one of these people who yeah. heard about you know <laughs> Elon Musk jumping into the call oh, yeah. and uh, you know Gary V jumping into another call. And uh, somehow I think uh, we no longer experience the hype that Clubhouse used to have. What is your take on that story? Yeah, so yeah, Clubhouse was a very big hit at the beginning, right? And I, and I heard from it, like about it from the very beginning in 2019 when they started working on it. I, I've been following them before they became a big thing, I guess. Uh, but I did not have an invite back then because <laughs> uh, it was for very elite. Uh, but, uh, you know, Clubhouse did not die out as, you know, as people were kind of predicting uh, because it is fundamentally, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. I've been talking about uh, social media platforms on voice for almost 10 years now, you know, ever since I was a teenager. I knew that this makes sense. However, um, yeah, it's popularity did go down as opposed to what it was in the beginning, uh, but it is here to stay, I believe. Uh, but they have to innovate, but they have to innovate because everybody basically copied Clubhouse right now, everyone. Like Slack has it, Spotify has it, Instagram is launching it. Uh, so to stay in business, I think they have to innovate. And I think they what they have to launch is not just the live calls, but a feed. I think that's when the the social media whoever does this first and does it on scale is going to win this game because the feed makes more sense than um, a live conversation because how long can you stay in a live conversation but imagine something like twitter but on voice where you can post these audio messages and and a lot of companies try to do that but they were never able to do that on scale so somebody who has the scale like facebook and clubhouse Whoever does that first is going to win this game. And Twitter is trying to do it now, but they're not succeeding because they're still focused on the text versus voice. This platform has to be focused on voice. Uh, and whoever does uh, a solely voice-focused platform with voice messages is going to win this game. So you wouldn't consider being a competitor and innovating in that field? I would love to. I would love to. However, like I said, you know, I, one thing that I recently realized is that I was actually working on something like that uh, last year and since 2019. But because it was, you know, a side project, it actually never, you know, took off because I have my main business here, the consultancy, and I can't just leave this business. Right. Uh, so my goal is to I, I still have a dream of like actually becoming a competitor. You hit it right uh, at one point. But uh, I have to take this company to a logical end. And we are actually in in, uh, in uh, talks right now to sell our company uh, because we got approached by one billion dollar company to, that wants to acquire our company. So uh, once that happens, probably, uh, that's when I'm going to go into a new venture. But I decided to not multitask at all because it does not work out. Um, I had a few projects started out at the same time and kind of was doing it on the side. I thought, you know, the side projects are fine, 
but you have you ever heard of a big company that was started as a side project? I barely did, you know. So it's it's always, you know, to be successful, you have to focus on one thing at a time. But to directly answer that question, yes, I am planning to I will launch something in the voice space that will be big. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, we've got a question from Olga. How important has your mentor been in your career and what makes a great mentor? Oh, that's a, that's my favorite question. So yeah, uh, <laughs> like I said, you know, uh, the way I entered uh, the tech business was actually through my mentor. So we met four years ago. And uh, at the time I was working on some e-commerce project and he, uh, I watched his interview and he was an angel investor that I knew. And so I came to him, you know, I got introduced and I came to him um, with like just pitching my project, right? But that did not work out. He did not invest, but we basically started working. He started mentoring me. So to answer that directly, he's been super essential towards my career uh in it and technology and entering as a technology entrepreneur it's actually a very you know smart move and something that i've been uh, well it's kind of on the surface you know that you should have a mentor but a lot of people struggle to find the right mentor so i was very much lucky and blessed to have found uh, the right mentor at the right time so early because i was 19 when i met him right um so and and what makes a great mentor is actually the ability to trust your mentee i think which is what i admire in babir and and my you know my mentor and he's currently my business partner is that he always trusted he always knows how to delegate uh and he never micromanages he guides you he tells you what's the right thing to do but he never insists one, even when uh, I, I was doing certain things that was obviously a mistake, he would sometimes even let me do that mistake so I can just see that for myself because he would know that, you know, if he tells me not to do it, I will keep thinking that, oh, maybe I should have done it. Maybe I should have done it, you know. So that, that I think what makes a great mentor is the ability to, tr to trust your mentee and not micromanage them and to just navigate them in the right way, but not just like hold their hands and walk them, you know. That's, I think, what makes a great mentor. And also be able to say no. For example, if somebody wants to go sideways and use technology for bad, right? Oh, of course, yeah. That's, that's, you have to be always cautious of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've seen it in, in blockchain technologies, cryptocurrencies, and uh, as we have experienced some people using phone to prank people, for example. Let's <laughs> go into Zia Lim's question. Is there any dis disadvantage on voice technology? Is there something we need to be aware of or even be afraid of when it comes to voice technology? Yeah. Uh, so again, yeah, coming back to that, uh, you know, I guess the fear of this uh, AI being abused, that's something that I think we have to be cautious about. And, you know, you can go and actually watch Elon Musk's speeches on the, 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 the downsides of AI and how it could take over. But to specifically answer about the voice technology, uh, well, aside from, you know, really abusing that uh, to, you know, I guess, falsify your identity, can't think of other disadvantages or, or, or threats, potential threats. Maybe Beata can help me with something here to come up with an idea, but I don't see a disadvantage here. 
but something to be aware of is just that, um, you know, the next customer representative that you're talking to might be an AI when you call Apple, you know? So <laughs> I guess that's something that you can be aware of, but that's a good thing, you know, cause if the AI is solving my problem faster than a human, then why not? It, it's just that, oh, we as, I guess, uh, humans have to be aware of, especially the conversational AI replacing our jobs, but it's not something that uh, we should completely be afraid of. It may happen faster than the last, uh, I guess, when in the 17th century, or when, when was the, the last, um, from, like the, the revolution when the actually technology was threatening the labor. Uh, this time it's going to happen faster. However, uh, as long as you're working on yourself and developing, it's just gonna be, a, I guess, a natural selection in a way that it's going to force people to either improve themselves and become uh, more knowledgeable and more useful as, uh, as a workforce uh, and try always not to be replaced by the AI. Uh, so that's something to be aware of. However, um, I don't see, I see more advantages than these disadvantages here. Fantastic. I, I truly believe that uh, technology is to serve people, although I cannot um, ignore the fact that some people, uh, for example, who are suffering stroke, all of a sudden cannot use voice technology because they suffered stroke and they can and their voices altered or whatever happened. And so there are instances when voice technology is not enabling some of the society um, or kind of is, is not open to everybody. And so that would be probably a, a very big obstacle because as you said, you can practice your uh, speech, you can practice yeah. your accent, but sometimes it's just impossible, right? Totally, totally. Yes, it's it's something to be to be uh, aware of as well. Mm. Yes. So we 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 have um, when I think about um, voice technology, we have great websites, especially governments are building their, that these websites that are open to everybody, people with uh, various disabilities, where, whether it's voice disability, whether it's uh, hearing, um, uh, reading and whatever disabilities there are. Is there any uh, way that voice technology is helping people with disabilities? Can you think of some examples? Totally, yeah. It's actually uh, yesterday I was I was trying to read an article on Forbes that was very interesting, but uh, you know there's this term called TLDR, which is too long to read, right? And it's uh, something that uh, uh, people are more and more inclined to not read an, a long article. Uh, so even if I'm not, you know, I don't have any disabilities or or challenges, I saw that Forbes already has installed this this widget, which instead of you reading the article, it basically turns it into a voice article. So it turns that uh, written article into a, basically a podcast, right? Uh, so that is a big help, you know, because, uh, oh, actually I have, I have a friend who uh, her brother basically is uh, the founder of Speechify. I don't know if you heard of Speechify, but it's basically, uh, it's that technology that turns the article into a podcast, but it's mm -hmm. directed towards dyslexic people and people with actually disabilities and, and challenges in you know visual impairment or or other disabilities that prevent them from being able to read and the founder actually her brother is actually um 
is, is dyslexic himself, which is why he invented that basically for himself. But the way that his technology does it is it's super advanced and it reads it almost in a human voice. Like, and you can literally just take a picture of a book, uh, a page in a book, and it will turn it into a podcast and it reads it for you. So that's a super useful case there, you know, turning text into speech. And if it's done right, because yesterday when I was listening to Forbes, I was kind of disappointed because it was super robotic voice, but it's, it's somewhere to start. You know, I think, you know, if they use technologies like Speechify and uh, other really good startups that are working to make it more natural, uh, it's going to become really mainstream. Uh, and not only it's going to just help lazy people like myself to not read and listen, but also to uh, especially help the people with disabilities who uh, have challenges reading themselves. Great, fantastic examples. Thank you, Sam. Uh, we've got in love and in pain we have not seen for quite a while. And it's a very big question. Great to see you, Sam, in PhD. Do you think voice technology can also help in international relations to avoid conflict? Ooh. So, uh, okay, that's uh, very much outside of my... Uh, domain of expertise, uh, international relations and, and pol politics. Uh, but, you know, the sky's the limit here. Again, this is at the at the very beginning stage. I uh, can't think of a particular use case where this could help avoid international relations or avoid conflict. Um, maybe by duplicating yourself as an AI and instead of flying uh, in for negotiations, you could have the AI carry out the negotiations for you to avoid that conflict and be a diplomat. Or oh, maybe you could like feed, uh, feed the AI uh, version of yourself with, uh, with different books that help you avoid conflicts and try to you know, put your virtual self into conversation with other, I guess, politicians or uh, representatives uh, to carry out that conversation better. Maybe that's a use case. And I think that's going to happen as well because uh, um, I'm a big fan of Black Mirror, uh, which, you know, it's a very dark, uh, you know, show, but it shows all the potential capabilities of the AI. And one of the one of the episodes, it actually shows how you can actually duplicate yourself. A virtual clone is actually another thing, you know, it's more just way beyond just the voice technology. It's more like just the complete AI, uh, advanced AI, but that's something maybe that can uh, potentially be used like cloning yourself and, and creating a more diplomatic version of yourself on voice. <laughs> it's going to help avoid conflict. Well, uh, it's almost like inside the actor's studio, we can run different scenarios with, uh, you know, uh, and today's in Afghanistan, we <laughs> are going to enjoy. Or we can think about... Uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump and softening his way of speaking. Oh, that'd be a great use case, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And we creating a more diplomatic like, version of Trump would be great. <laughs> absolutely. Or Trump reading uh, fairy tales uh, to bed. Um, I'm sure it can happen with voice technology. We are coming closer and closer to the end of our show. That's been very, very interesting, Sarmer, to speak to you and listen to all these voices. I wanted to ask you a, a perverse question because you praised China and Chinese technology so much. Why didn't you choose 
east versus west because you know it's much closer i think to your home country yeah, uzbekistan yeah, is. is is much closer than to china than us yeah uh well yeah i've actually been in china uh four years ago and uh and yeah that that was pretty much the only thing i liked about china the technical technological advancements however there's a lot of um you know other things that i did not like about this country especially the the human rights structure and like the you know it the country being communistic and i don't want to get too political uh but that's something you know the us reflects my values and and uh my i guess points of view as an entrepreneur in the best way i i don't think there's any other country that is more entrepreneurial and more capitalistic than the united states and i think for an entrepreneur it is the perfect place to be at and because I've lived here for seven years, it's just uh, somewhere that I feel the most comfortable in. But I never rule out the possibility that I may at one point. Um, back in college, I was actually trying to take a semester abroad in China, in Shanghai, especially. I love Shanghai. But uh, in terms of just living there permanently, I can't imagine myself there because of you know uh, my, my kind of values conflicting with uh, that country's values. Thank you. That's very honest answer. Um, appreciate it. We've got uh, In Love and In Pain thanking us. And we've got Mike Velasco is asking a question. Let's dive into this question. What are the most successful media projects you've seen on voice control devices and from a business perspective? Oh, that's a great one. So, yeah, uh, as uh, a lot of people might know or not know, uh, Alexa and uh, Google Home are actually right now the most dominant uh, platforms for voice technology, right? Think of it as iOS versus Android. So again, and but this time Apple has kind of been late to the party with their Siri. So Amazon is dominating the space uh, this time. So Amazon, just like iOS allows, they have their own like app store sort of like where, where you can install different skills for Alexa, right? Those are like apps. And the, this industry is a, at the very early stage, just like the App Store was 10 years ago. So if we go back to 2011, 2010, there were so many opportunities to create multi-billion dollar companies on top of the uh, this App Store, right? So the same happening right now, but 10 years ago, there were no multi-billion dollar companies yet. So right now, there aren't super successful projects, but the ones that I can kind of highlight uh, the, the skills that are more or less successful and I see potential in as are the ones that uh, Alexa and Amazon created themselves, which is uh, coming back to that topic of the different voices. I think you can buy Samuel, a, Samuel Jackson's voice on Alexa and that one's super popular. You pay $5 and you can, you can basically uh, have your Alexa speak with uh, a celebrity voice. I think that one was, from a business standpoint, very profitable as well. And I think they're going to keep developing celebrity voices. Uh, but from other projects uh, off the top of my head, there are a lot of successful like mini podcasts that have launched exclusively on Alexa. One of them is ran by my friend uh, Daniel, who runs uh, Instagram Stories podcast. Basically, he gives five-minute updates about Instagram news every day on Alexa. And he has amassed uh, a pretty big audience with that, too. Uh, so I think those are the ones that are off the top of my head have been. Oh, and there are games, too. There are games that are on audio. Uh, you know, you can basically play like old games from the 80s 
that were text-based you can play them on alexa be like alexa turn left alexa turn right and then she basically tells you how you're doing in the game those those become really popular as well but it's still very early uh there is no multi-billion dollar company that has emerged on top of voice yet on these devices but there will be uh so yeah that's i think uh, hopefully answers the question and there is your company that you are going to launch and it's yes. going to be <laughs> the one the the unicorn i i hope yeah. Yeah. um so um i hope you're gonna intro uh, us uh, these great people because uh, we are looking for great speakers for our show positivity hack delivered but before we um dive into the last questions i would like to ask you what would be your advice to other female um, um mentors or startup founders how to advance your career from a male perspective or maybe from, uh, you know, watching how are these females performing? What would be your advice, Sam? Yep. Uh, so we actually have our, uh, well, probably 30% of our of our clients are female founders. And one of them actually, which I gave an example, uh, the platform called Rogo, where they're creating this peer-to-peer uh, -peer platform for rental, everyday item rentals. She's a solo founder she's a female founder first time founder who has quit her job at a corporate uh, company and she had a really good position as the head of hr or something and she, I, I really admire her because she actually came to us in 2019 and she started talking to us and it took her almost a year to quit her job to finally decide to quit her job and pursue this as a full-time startup so that's that's been very like i was i seen in this and this uh founder and this female founder something that i don't see in male founders this bravery because a lot of our projects like i said clients they they have a day job and they don't quit their job for the security and i understand why i you know it's I'm not judging but i haven't seen i very rarely seen even male founders do that to quit their job completely and focus on their startup. But I, I, but she was, she's been, she's been doing great so far. You know, it's been three months since we started a project and she raised her fourth round of capital right now, fourth investor on board. And it's been amazing watching her grow uh, because, you know, she had no experience in technology before. So my advice to female founders is that actually, you know, like take, take this as an inspiration, you know, there's no limits right now. I think it's the best time to raise capital, to start companies and be brave because there's so, just so much money fluctuating in the system as well. The US government has, I think they've put out extra $10 trillion ever since the pandemic started in the system. And think about the magnitude of that money. It's in the system right now. And so there's a lot of money being invested in startups. Uh, and, and there's a lot of opportunity, you know, because a lot of great companies actually started during a crisis like past crisis 2008 we've seen airbnb groupon and other companies and back then not a lot of them were founded by female founders but right now uh there's less of that discrimination if you call it you know or or i guess the the unfairness towards female uh there still is you know there are still people of course that favor male founders versus female founders but it is less and less happening and 
and the worst thing you can do to yourself is to set that boundary up in your mind and think that hey i'm a female founder it's going to be difficult i'm a female founder it's going to be difficult no people are there are more tolerant people that i know towards that that have no problem with you being a female founder uh then there there are that do have that problem at least within my network so i'd say right now is a great time for anyone to start a company but especially for female founders i think there's never been a better time Sardor, uh, kudos to that and, and amen to that. Um, definitely bravery is something that we need to remember about. And uh, I just wanted to ask, what is the startup? We need to follow her. Yes, uh, go on. And I hope uh, Vlada will forgive me. I think she is public about it. Uh, so this is why I'm kind of giving away all these uh, uh, details. Uh, but go yep. on rog rogorent.com. Uh, it's R O G O R E N T dot com. And uh -huh. you can check out, it's still not live. So don't try to download the app. It's not live yet. But we are working on this app. We're building this app for her. And, but you can watch her journey on Instagram. If you follow her on Instagram, it's, I think, Vlad Lena de France is her Instagram. Uh, but through that website, you can do your research. You can look her up. Uh, I think she's going to succeed. You know, and it, it's great just watching somebody from ground up, uh, you know, just build that company. Fabulous. So we love that story, Sardor. Thank you so much. What, what would you say you, is your life lesson quote? Maybe uh, you, you said great quotes here. Bravery is, um, is the right way to go. But what would you say is your life lesson quote at the moment or maybe overall? <laughs> So I guess uh, every year I have some big realization which hits me and I think, wow, how did I know not know this before? How did I live my life without this realization? And I, I guess that's, that's a great thing. Uh, so last year, what hit me was that I have to systemize my life and live by my habits. And I was even going to get a tattoo that says systems. I'm still wanting to do that, but uh, that was the big lesson last year. But this year's lesson, I think for me, has been the word focus uh, that I realized I've been so much all over the place, you know, running a nonprofit, uh, organizing charity dinners, networking events, uh, aside from my main business, you know, and running a few other uh, small startups on the side. But it's better to do one thing at a time and do it really, really well and be super expert in that company and really make it succeed and reinvest back into that company and, and grow it until you reach that pinnacle and you either exit that uh, and, and you, you basically make a logical conclusion. So the, so the quote here is, I think, in one word, it's focus. focus I, I really even want to down, down the road one day, I want to write a book about this because um, it's, it's impacted me, my career so much. I've, like ever since I started really focusing on one thing at a time, like our company has been doubling in revenue almost every two, three months. You know, so it's like it's one thing that I think is if you if you ask me for a quote, I think I would just say one word focus. Fabulous. Uh, let's focus on our final question of our show, which is imagine the pandemic is over and you can invite any person in the world anywhere in the world. Who would you invite and where would you go to have that private breakfast face to face? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. So I, I always I always fluctuate between uh, 
Elon Musk and uh, and Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, I'm still uh, waiting for. <laughs> I've applied for Gary Vaynerchuk's. Uh, uh, he's like my virtual mentor scholarship to meet him. So if I win, I may still meet him. So it may not be just an imagination, but I, I'm sure I will meet him one day and become friends. But I would take probably Elon Musk if I could choose, because he's just he's just something else. You know, it may sound cheesy, but I'm I'm like a, one of the top fans of Elon Musk, even before he became that household name, you know, even before Tesla was a household name. Like I've been following this guy for years and years, reading all his books. And and I'm just the biggest fan of Elon Musk and I would take him for breakfast if possible. <laughs> and where would you go uh, with him? With Elon Musk, I don't care, like honestly, but uh, <laughs> as long as it's him, I could <laughs> I could be in the worst restaurant in, in the world. But I'd probably, you know, uh, I don't know, grab a pizza with him, you know, and just chat and chat and chat, you know. Or if, if it's breakfast, then, uh, well, I have a favorite place in, in Miami for breakfast called Kiki on the River. That'd be great. A great place with a great person. So, yeah, probably that place. <laughs> Bravo. Uh, fingers crossed for that as well, uh, Sarm. Um, so thank you so much. It's the end of our show. And I would like to thank you very much, Marianne Madera, Olga Vasina, Aika Pagio, Princess Tani, Trixie Lopez, Zia Lim, In Love and In Pain, and Mike Velasco for your contribution, brilliant questions, and always keeping us uh, our discussion alive. Let's stay focusing on positive. As our guest said, he needs to focus. We need to focus. And when you focus on the positives, the positives get more positive. As always, our positivity quote comes from positive thinking only and goes, look for something positive in each day, even if some days you have to look a little harder. Today is your day to hug the future, hug the positivity you want. Sardor, thank you so much for today's discussion about voice technology, startups, and female founders. I'm looking forward to meeting um, you again with your new billion-dollar company, Unicorn in the Universe of Voice Technology, whatever it might be. And thank you so much for our lovely audience who participate and ask questions. Have a good day. And thank see you so much, Beata. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.